0: Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. Every time I get behind this microphone, I thank God for the opportunity. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's like walking into a boxing ring. Uh, I know that. I know how that feels for uh, for 10 years. I get pumped up because I'm going to talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Catholic gospel. And uh, the motto of my show is uh, love God, save souls, and slay air. I'm doing the show solo today. My partner, Terry Barber, is doing some apostolic work. But both of us are reporting for duty. Terry, wherever he's at, he's reporting for duty, and so am I. This is high-energy Catholic radio. We are not right versus left. We are right versus wrong. And this is where Catholicism and the culture war intersect. So, the month of February is dedicated to the Holy Family. It's a special devotion which proposes the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as the model of virtue of all Christian households which began in the 17th century. So the month of February. Let's restore that devotion in our domestic church. It would both honor the holy family and, at the same time, becomes a reminder to strengthen family life. After all, the church has taught how the family model. How the how, the church has taught us how the holy family is our model. It's the example for all Catholic families. So says St. John Paul II in a 2001 Angelus. He called the family of Nazareth a model for every home. We're going to be talking about today the moral case for mockery. We're going to take a look at when we hear bad, bad ideas. You know, the left has, is, they're experts at mocking Christianity. You got, for example, the, the late night comedy shows, all of them are always mocking Christianity, conservative thought, or uh, their friends across the aisle. So is there a case for mockery for Christians? Can Christians also return the favor, so to speak? That's what we'll take a look at, the moral case for mockery. Also, we're going to look at heroes and zeros in January. We're going to look at all the self-professed Catholic leaders and institutions and hold them to the standards of Catholic teaching. This is what the heroes and zeros is all about. Holding Catholics accountable and praising those Catholics that deserve it. Then finally, we're going to be talking about ex-transgender individuals who are speaking out. And many of these ex-transgender individuals are saying there's no such thing as a transgender. So we'll be taking a look at that as well. A couple of news items. Joe Biden denies fact of bishops' opposition. Despite a clear letter from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops calling for no taxpayer funding for abortion... President Joe Biden this week claimed he is not facing opposition from the bishops or from the Pope. EWTN White House correspondent Owen Jensen tried to ask Biden about the fact that Catholic bishops are demanding that federal tax dollars not fund abortions. President Joe Biden cut in by saying, quote, no, they are they are not all doing that. Nor is the Pope doing that, close quote. Next news item, Mark Hauk will press charges. Yeah, hero Mark Hauk, the pro-life father of seven who was acquitted this past Monday in federal court of charges of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, said he's planning to sue the FBI and other authorities following his ordeal. Steve Bannon asked Mark Houck in an interview, Do you intend to press charges for prosecutorial abuse? And are you going to press charges against the FBI agents and the state troopers? Houck responded, We most definitely will, and we will be seeking counsel on that. Next news item. Thousands are dead in the Mideast. Thousands are reported dead in Turkey and Syria after two earthquakes hit the region a few days ago. A 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck Turkey, leveling scores of buildings and homes. A 7.5 magnitude shaker then hit the southeastern part of the country. More than 2,300 people reportedly died after the quakes rocked the region sending tremors as far away as Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and Egypt. Let's pray for them. Eternal rest, Lord, grant unto all the dead people in Turkey and Syria as a result of this earthquake. And let your perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of all the people that have died in these earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Finally, Mark Hauk is uh, going to attend Biden's State of the Union address to the nation. Mark Houck will attend President, Biden, President Joe Biden's third State of the Union address on Tuesday night. The pro-life leader, Mark Houck, revealed in a soon-to-be-released interview with Catholic Votes Loopcast. Mark Houck told Loopcast that Congressman Scott Perry... Republican from Pennsylvania, extended the invitation late last week. Mark Houck Mark said, I asked him, why? Why me? And they told me that I'm the face of the weaponization of the government. So Mark Houck agreed and he's going to go represent all of us. Really. Today's gospel, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. You're going to see in today's gospel, before I read it, that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to chastise the, the Pharisees and scribes. And uh, you'll see that the Bible says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You nullify the word of God. It's precisely that word that brings forth creation for when God speaks, things happen. And so let's beg today for the grace to leave behind our preconceptions and and faulty traditions, for example. That that God isn't really mindful of. That he does not care for us. But when we unite our hearts to his, he restores us to his own image and likeness. So today's gospel, speak Lord, your servants are listening. Mark chapter 7 verses 1 to 13. When the Pharisees, with some scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they observed that some of his disciples ate their meals with, un- with unclean, that is, unwashed hands, for the Pharisees and, in fact, all the Jews do not eat without carefully washing their hands, keeping the tradition of the elders, and on coming from the marketplace, they do not eat without purifying themselves. And there are many other things that they have traditionally observed, the purification of cups and jugs and kettles and beds. So the Pharisees and scribes question him, why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders, but instead eat a meal with unclean hands? He responded, Well did Isaiah the pr- prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines human precepts. You disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. He went on to say, How well you have set aside the commandment of God, In order to uphold your tradition. For Moses said. Honor your father and your mother. And whoever curses father or mother shall die. Yet you say. If someone says to father or mother. Any support you might have had from me is korban. Meaning dedicated to God. You allow him to nullify more. For his father or mother. You nullify the word of God. In favor of your tradition. That you have handed on. And you do many such things. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you Lord Jesus Christ. You see today our Lord Jesus Christ is hammering the Pharisees and Sadducees. So these elders that he's talking about traditions to. Religious customs manufactured by the Pharisees. And added to the Mosaic law. Sometimes called the Oral law. So this body of rituals was designed to supplement God's written law and intensify its requirements of ritual purity. Well, these traditions were passed on orally until recorded in the Jewish Mishnah about A.D. 200. Here the controversy is sparked by the unwashed hands of the disciples. The Pharisees charge them, not with poor hygiene, but with religious laxity. So Jesus responds with a vigorous attack on these Pharisaic customs because they distract practitioners from the more important principles of the Mosaic law. In other words, that is, they emphasize the dangers of ritual impurity on the hands to the neglect of the moral defilement in the heart defined by the commandments. In the end, these two traditions promoted by the Pharisees and elders are example of merely human traditions that the Pharisees have wrongly elevated to an equal level with the revealed law of God. Also, the reference to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah reprimands Jerusalem for consulting its politicians while rejecting the prophets because their leaders routinely exclude the Lord from foreign policy decisions and rely instead on their own wisdom they worship the worship of the Lord became empty and vain that's what he's talking about and the Pharisees have fallen into the same trap of rejecting God's wisdom in favor of their own tradition their own empty traditions that are in dangerous competition with God's will as revealed in the gospel You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Up next, we're going to talk about the moral case for mockery. Is mockery okay for Christians? Stick around. We'll find out. We're not right versus left, we're right versus wrong. And uh, as a Catholic Christian, we have to remember that we have to stand up for Jesus with our lives, with our lips, and with our love. I want you to listen to a short little video. It's called The Moral Case for Mockery. It's by Seth Dillon. He's the CEO of Babylon B, which is uh, it's a newspaper written by Protestant Christians. It's satire. It's a lot of it's political satire. But uh, but it's clean and I'd like you to listen to the moral case for mockery. And then I'll have some thoughts. I'll give you my analysis. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip?
1: Bad ideas are everywhere, spreading like viruses, infecting every area of our lives and driving millions of otherwise rational people to embrace the irrational. Here's one obvious example. It illustrates a broader point I want to make about, of all things, the moral importance of mockery ready for this we're told by so-called experts with straight faces that men can become women and women can become men we're told that sex is assigned at birth rather than observed as if doctors just make their best guess whenever they see a newborn baby we're told men can become pregnant and chest-feed these aren't fringe ideas promoted by radicals on reddit they're mainstream endorsed by once respected medical organizations highly educated doctors, and popular internet wellness sites. Go to healthline.com and type in, can men get pregnant? You'll find this answer. Yes, it's possible for men to become pregnant and give birth to children of their own. In order to explain, we'll need to break down some common misconceptions about how we understand the term man. So the people who just told us men can get pregnant are going to clear up misconceptions for us? I don't think so. It would be bad enough if these ideas were merely popular, but they've quickly gone from mainstream to mandatory. You can't criticize them. You can't even joke about them. Comedians risk being canceled, and in some cases physically attacked, for doing so. In a twisted way, this all kind of makes sense. In order to prop up an insane worldview that can't be defended, or even coherently articulated, you have to insulate it from criticism especially the comedic kind that employs mockery to expose foolishness. It's embarrassing to be exposed as a fool, so it can't be tolerated. My team at the Babylon Bee learned this the hard way when we made a joke about Rachel Levine, a transgender health admiral in the Biden administration. USA Today had named Rachel Levine one of their Women of the Year. They were serious. But Rachel Levine is no more a woman than I am. So we fired back with this satirical headline, The Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. The mockery, of course, was of USA Today, not the Admiral. Twitter, pre-Elon, was not amused. They locked our account for hateful conduct. Delete the joke, they said, and you can have your account back. We refused. The intolerable truth you're not allowed to speak is that Rachel Levine actually misgenders himself whenever he calls himself a woman. And pointing that out, no matter how it's done, is not hateful conduct because the truth is not hate speech. But this is how the system is rigged to safeguard bad ideas. The leftists who dominate our media and culture are armed with both a sword and a shield. They can call anyone who differs with them a bigot, a transphobe, a Nazi, doesn't matter. They know they'll never get banned. That's the sword. But if you joke about the left's lunacy, you'll be suspended or even banned for hateful conduct. That's the shield. So how did we get to the point where it's considered hateful to tell the truth, even in jest? The answer is simple. We took bad ideas too seriously. Instead of laughing at absurd notions like men can get pregnant, or the planet will burn up in 10 years if we don't ban fossil fuels, or that morbid obesity is healthy, to name just a few, we tolerated them. The absurd has become sacred because it hasn't been sufficiently mocked. But isn't mockery mean and cruel? Well, that depends. We're not talking about mockery for the purpose of putting people down and making them feel bad. We're talking about using it as a tool to expose foolishness for what it is, so that it isn't taken seriously. Mockery of this kind is not only cleansing, it's a moral imperative. Why? Because bad ideas can have catastrophic consequences. Ask any mutilated teen who now regrets having gender transition surgery, or any married couple who didn't have children because of climate change or any obese person who now has diabetes because being overweight is supposed to be okay. Imagine if the ideas that produced these results had been laughed at instead of lauded. So many things are off-limits in comedy and culture now, and too many people think this represents progress. They think we've improved morally because we make fun of fewer things. The truth is we're more confused than ever because we've affirmed and accepted what should have been ridiculed and rejected. If our goal is moral improvement, we need more mockery, not less. I'm Seth Dillon, CEO of the Babylon Bee for Prager University.
0: Good job, Seth Dillon. So who's the Babylon Bee? The Babylon Bee is a conservative evangelical Christian news satire website that publishes satirical articles on topics including religion, politics, current events, and public figures. It's been referred to as a Christian or evangelical or conservative version of The Onion. They were founded in 2016. And uh, again, they're involved in satire publications of religion, politics, and current events. They're doing a bang-up job. If If it's good for the left, it's also good for the right. That's my take. And I'll show you that conservatives and people of faith, they like... Uh, you know, they, they like humor, they like jokes, they like satire. You remember in the evening, we had the some of the most liberal comedians. They basically controlled the modern late night TV shows. You had, you know, Jon Stewart, for example, Stephen Colbert, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Bill Maher to some extent, but he seems to be having some type of conversion, uh, ever so slight, And so you would see these late night TV shows, these comedy shows, all they would do is bash conservatives, people of faith, people that are traditional. Then all of a sudden, who do we get? All of a sudden, Greg Gutfield on Fox News, who's the comedian that leans to the right. He's a conservative Republican comedian, he definitely leans right. All of a sudden, he starts this new program with political commentary, with occasional comedy sketches, and, and uh, just a, a general sense of also using satire, just like the Babylon Bee. Well, guess what? Greg Gutfield is now the most watched comedian on Late Night. He dwarfs Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> and uh, you know anybody else that's on Late Night. He dwarfs them. Why? Because people that are conservative and traditional, we also like to laugh. We have a sense of humor. And if it's good for those on the left, it's also good for those on the right. Here's some comments of the YouTube video that Seth put out right now from the Babylon V, the video talking about the moral case for mockery. Here's some comments, some, most of them I agree with, some I don't, obviously. Ninja Kitty says, Shame is a good thing, while bullying is not. Shame is what keeps society on its toes to avoid most of the breakdown we see today. Here's Ken. He says, I remember as a kid seeing quite a few films and documentaries of the kid of, of, the kid of people whose genders were assigned to them only later in life, finding out that they were not born female, and that they, that they had their masculinity stripped from them. And this was seen as a moral and biological nightmare. Here's another one. The radio, the radio, my TV says, the mockery of a situation is very different from the mocker of a person or a people. Totally agree. And that's what Babylon B does. They mock the situations. David Tagura says, we live in an age where the truth is a conspiracy theory. Well said, my friend. Here is Debbie Lermond. She says, Thank you, Seth, for having the moral courage to point out the obvious by telling the truth with a smile. And and I love your channel and can't wait for each new episode. Next one, Joseph Logson says, I actually think a bit better. I actually I actually think a better way is to accuse your opponent of being what they claim to hate. There's a difference between what people believe with their heart and what people believe with their head. For example, people who are against big business and are pro-choice, given the fact that many corporations fund and advocate for abortions, their reason usually being that childless women will spend more time working, pro-choice individuals are actually some of the most ardent supporters of big business. Here's another one. It says, well said. It is clear that we are fighting a desperate war against a spiritual wickedness in high places, not mere flesh and blood. Mytha says, Mockery serves a purpose. Andy Dagner says, I only just realized this. One cannot sincerely mock this video without accident- accidentally embracing its main idea. This is an unusually clever strategy. Here is uh, Larry says, Half of the Babylon Bee's headlines wind up as real mainstream media stories about six months later. They have the pulse of society. And Hunter says, Does this imply that mockery is a type of criticism? Can it be? If properly executed, constructive criticism. And here's a person called Mom I'm the, of the opinion that it is a fringe of people who just happen to have voices that are amplified enough to create a huge experiment in social proof. And here's Bruce says, I went, I went to an all-black high school. Roasting was a big part of the culture there. If you didn't have jokes, it, wasn't going to be a, it was going to be a long day. It helped us develop tough skin. Here is JT says, love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Here is, uh, Sylvia says, What are the costs of lies? Connor says, Sane men can get pregnant is a misconception. Love it. (laughs) And Carson says, To the shameless, only shame itself is shameful. A.J. Hodges says, This is one aspect of the value of free speech. If actual progress is to be had... What was the best idea yesterday has to be allowed to be called the worst idea today. If it's too sacred for you to do that that you, to do that you won't progress if better ideas come along, let alone eliminate genuinely bad ones. Here's another one. John Hill says, What one generation tolerates, the next embraces. That is how we got here. Nikki quotes Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, says the one enthroned in heaven that's God laughs the Lord derides them close quote so it looks like yep God mocks the mockers of truth according to Psalm chapter 2 verse 4 one more Larry Johnson says nailed it Seth nailed it what is bad is that real people believe this stuff and they will get violent if you challenge their narrative it is getting way out of hand and here's one more I'll add one point. The devil hates being mocked. Good video, Seth. Keep up the good work. Up next, we're going to be talking about heroes and zeros for the month of January, holding fake Catholics accountable. We'll be right back. around. Terry and Jesse show. We're back. My GPS is programmed for heaven. What about yours? GPS is not global positioning system. It is God's plan for salvation. Live your life with eternity in mind. I want to talk about heroes and zeros as it relates to fellow baptized Catholics. Catholic vote puts us out every single month. It's called the Catholic accountability project. It's committed to holding self-professed Catholic leaders and institutions to the standards of church teaching. That's what the Catholic Accountability Project is all about. Because you deserve to know exactly where our Catholic leaders stand. Both the heroes who are standing up for the truth and the zeros who cause grave scandal by their words and actions. Every month we hold these Catholics accountable and praise them when they deserve it. But we ask We ask that you pray for all the Catholics in the public square, heroes and zeros alike, because we are called to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's definitely one of the heroes. George Cardinal Pell passed away this year. Though he is the white martyr from down under Australia, he died suddenly on January 10th. George Cardinal Pell former Archbishop of Sydney, was appointed by Pope Francis in 2014 to oversee, and as it turned out, reform the Vatican's financial activities. In 2018, after a trial overshadowed by a vicious media campaign against him, because he was cleaning up the Vatican's financial activities, he was convicted of sexual abuse and spent 404 days in prison. Largely, in solitary confinement. His innocence was proven and the conviction overturned in 2020. He turned his time in prison into an extended retreat and upon his release, as George Weigel wrote, played a quiet but effective role behind the scenes encouraging the defenders of Catholic Orthodoxy to think through the requisites for a more vibrant Catholic culture. George Cardinal Pell May he rest in peace and may his tribe increase. Here's another hero Congresswoman Michelle Fishback, Republican from Minnesota. On January 23rd, Representative Michelle Fishback from Minnesota hosted a special effort in the House to mark the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Remarks from 15 representatives at her behest commemorated the now defunct decisions devastating effects and urged decisive action from congress to pass pro-life legislation and celebrated the sanctity of all human life amid political pressures to ignore the so-called social issues and leave the unborn the uh, the abortion debate to the states Fishback continues to fight for legal protection of the unborn in federal law. What about Governor Michael Dunleavy? He's a Republican from Arkansas. In his January state of the speech, Governor Michael Dunleavy of Alaska announced his intention to make the last frontier the most pro-life state in the country. In fact, he urged a joint session of the legislature to pass policy supporting families making Alaska affordable, addressing health care options, and creating jobs that are more attractive to parents with kids. The Catholic governor's pro-family and pro-life challenge to a state senate controlled by pro-abortion Democrats was a courageous start to his second term. We urge the governor to keep up the pressure and continue to resist the party of death in the far north. God bless you to all these people. Governor Michael Dunleavy, Congresswoman Michelle Fishback, and George Cardinal Pell. So, who are the zeros of the month of January? According to Catholic votes, tabulation well, Cardinal McElroy from San Diego published a lengthy op-ed in America magazine calling for a Eucharistic theology that invites all of the baptized to the table of the Lord. Well that might they might that might sound nice at first, but the essay essentially suggested that the church has no authority to impose any expectations. On Catholics who present themselves for Holy Communion. The effect of the tradition, McElroy wrote, that all sexual acts outside of marriage constitute objectively grave sin has, has been to focus the Christian moral, moral life disproportionately upon sexual activity. Close quote. Catholics claim, Catholics have, he claims, Cardinal McElroy, quote, place sexual activity at at the very center of our structures of exclusion from the Eucharist. This should change, close quote, says Cardinal McElroy. In the spirit of synodality, encouraged by Pope Francis, we believe the Cardinal is in grave error. The Church has never focused disproportionately on sexual sin although it has always spoken relevant moral truths to those who themselves are obsessed with sexual sin. For Christians who accept the teachings of Jesus Christ and the unbroken tradition of the church, the heart of the moral life, including chastity, is Jesus Christ himself. Who's the next zero for January? Representative Anna issue democrat from california this month lawmakers in the house of representatives voted 222 to 202 to 208 to pass h con resolution 3 a resolution condemning the recent attacks on pro-life activities groups and churches but representative anna issue a democrat did not she instead attacked Pregnancy Resource Center saying that the Republicans passed a resolution <clears throat> to condemn attacks on anti-abortion fake clinics while failing to acknowledge or condemn the very real threat that abortion providers are under every day. The resolution is pure hypocrisy. It distracts from their extreme agenda to, full, to fully ban abortion. Her vote, sends the unmistakable message that pro-abortion domestic terrorism is above the law for, for Issue, uh, Congressman Issue, and the other 65 Catholics who voted against the bill to refuse to address these unspeakable acts of violence is beyond egregious. It's an outright betrayal of American Catholic voters and their allies who serve women in need. And the next zero, Governor Katie Hobbs. Who stole the election. Democrat from Arizona. Last year, then, Governor Doug Ducey made Arizona one of the freest states for education, returning thousands of tax dollars to parents in the nation's premier school voucher program. Well, guess what? This month, current Governor Katie Hobbs has promised to undo his work in order to save the state up to $135 million over the next fiscal year. She received a standing ovation from Democrats in the state legislature who applauded the Catholic governor's commitment to depriving an estimated 1.2 million children of school choice. Ironically, the governor herself attended the prestigious Seton Catholic Prep, a private Catholic school. Yeah, Katie Hobbs is simply a squatter right now in the governor's mansion here in Arizona. Also, Sub-Zeros, Secretary of Health and Human Services, HHS, Xavier Becerra, who describes himself as a committed Catholic, started the year by tripling down on an anti-Catholic and anti-life efforts. This week, HHS announced <coughs> that it plans to rescind all exceptions, allowing employers to opt out of the Obama Obamacare con- contraceptive mandate for moral convictions paving the way for another round of lawsuits from communities like the Little Sisters of the Poor. Standing with Minnesota Governor Tim Waltz and Democratic legislators earlier this month, Becerra stumped for a bill codifying so-called abortion rights into the state constitution. The bill passed 69 to 65. He ended the month at Planned Parenthood's D.C. summit on January 30th, pledging his commitment to ending the lives of unborn children for any reason up to the moment of birth. And guess what? We believe you, Xavier Hazera. You're keeping good on your promises. Yeah. Yeah, Secretary Becerra is the first HHS secretary to visit a Planned Parenthood clinic. And he was speaking to the group's D.C. summit today about what more the Biden administration can do to protect and expand abortion access. These are the heroes and they are the zeros for the month of January. I thank catholicvote.org their catholic accountability project it's it's outstanding because we deserve to know exactly where our catholic leaders stand, both the heroes who are standing up for the truth and the zeros who cause grave scandal by their words and actions. And again, every month we hold these catholics accountable and praise the ones that deserve to be praised. Up next, we're going to be talking about an ex-transgender ex-trans, individuals that speak out. Actually, ex-transgender individuals say there's no such thing as a transgender. It's, it's a fiction. So we'll be taking a look at that. Because once again, transgenderism is the family's worst enemy and what the transgender revolution wants is self destructive tyrannical unscientific immoral abusive and unhealthy so we'll take a look at that next remember what the bible says 2nd John 1 7 many deceivers have gone out into the world many deceivers have gone out into the world 2nd John 1 7 we'll be back Stick around. Don't go anywhere.
1: Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call eight 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 five two six two one five one. Now Here's Terry and Jesse.
0: Ex-transgenders are speaking out. And what they're saying is that there's no such thing as a transgender. That's right. A number of individuals who lived as transgender and even underwent surgery to achieve this end, they're now speaking out about the physical and mental dangers and the lies of the transgender movement. While the advocates of the transgender lobby loudly and persistently proclaim the supposed benefits of gender reassignment surgery, there's numerous personal testimonies that highlight the danger of such procedures and the falsehoods underpinning the transgender argument. Let's just be honest. Society is battling against the seemingly all-pervasive forces of the transgender lobby. The propaganda for this movement is seen in every aspect of society. There is, for example, even a wikiHow page titled, How to Know if You're Transgender. This reminds me of what St. Paul says in the Bible in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And let's not forget that Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 reminds us, it says the huge dragon, the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world was thrown down to earth, and its angels were thrown down with it. Second John one: seven. Many deceivers have gone out into this world. And we're seeing this deception, the whole transgender movement. The transgender lobby is so radical that it swiftly turns against those who would previously have been deemed to be left-wing. Case in point, I'm thinking about the case of Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling. Well-known liberal. In 2020, Rowling wrote on Twitter that biological sex is a reality while defending same-sex relationships and trans people. But despite her promotion of homosexuality and transgenderism, Rowling was not radical enough to keep up with the increasingly powerful transgender lobby, which led to her public social ostracization and demonization. The social demise of J.K. Rowling has served to highlight the immense power which the trans lobby has accumulated pushing the supposed truths of of its every argument. However, a number of individuals who lived as transgender and even underwent surgery to achieve this end, they're now speaking out about how the physical and mental dangers and the lies of the transgender movement. Here's one prominent voice, Walt Heyer. God bless him. What a brave man. He boldly calls for an an end to even using the terms of gender dysphoria, transgender, or transitioning. He says this, I have found one person that actually has gender dysphoria. Born in 1940, Walt Heyer was one of the first victims of the transgender movement. He spent eight years living as a woman, including having gender reassignment surgery before detransitioning in 1991. Waltire is very open about what led to his decision to live as a woman right around the age of 42, after his diagnosis of gender dysphoria two years earlier. He traces the cause to childhood trauma from his grandmother, who dressed him in girls' clothes along with enduring sexual abuse. Waltire recounts how his grandmother was a seamstress. Walt Hired told that he was particularly interested in his grandmother's activity and eventually at four years old began to demonstrate an interest in wearing some of the ladies' clothes that she was making. So his grandmother made him a dress for him to wear and then started affirming him and started telling him how cute he was. Walt Hired described this as an active process of abuse which damaged him both emotionally and psychologically. Adding to this, Walt Heyer was sexually abused when nine years old by his teenage uncle. In fact, this abuse occurred after his uncle heard of Walt Heyer wearing dresses. So Walt Heyer directly links the abuse to his increased attachment to transgender ideology. This abuse caused me caused me to not want to be male any longer. Cross-dressing gave me an escape. Walt Tyre recounted in a 2019 essay that he began to focus on how he could become a girl, even asking God to turn him into a girl, believing that this would lead to his acceptance and affirmation by those around him. Nevertheless, he married while in his 20s, but reveals that by, by the time he was 40, he decided to seek a gender specialist who diagnosed him with gender identity disorder. The specialist subsequently recommended cross-sex hormones and sex change genital surgery. The doctor rejected the argument that Walt, Heyer, that Walt Heyer's childhood experiences had any bearing on the matter. So Walt Heyer underwent the invasive surgery so commonly heard of amongst transgender advocates, including having breast implants and feminizing procedures. In addition, he officially changed his name to Laura Jensen. A few years later, Walt Heyer realized he was deeply unhappy with his choice. He was driven to thoughts of suicide The representative of the transgender movement, a gender specialist, downplayed any concerns. Fortunately, Walt Heyer did not listen to his advice and sought professional help to revisit his childhood traumas and thus address the underlying conditions driving his gender dysphoria. He noted the key events in his early life that led to his mental anguish. However, he also warned that his destructive steps were only possible due to the availability and promotion of the transgender lifestyle. He says, had I not been misled by media stories of sex change success and by medical practitioners who said transforming was the answer to my problems, I would have suffered. I wouldn't have suffered as I have, he wrote. Since returning to living to a man in 1991, Walt Heyer has been outspoken in his mission to highlight the deception and danger inherent in the transgender movement. Walt Heyer says, nobody's born transgender, he told, the just, he told just the News. The truth is transgender don't exist. There is no such thing as a Transgender. Individuals who present themselves as transgender are struggling with either bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, body dysmorphia, depression, or some underlying comorbid issues, he added. What a strong statement. I would add to that. They may be struggling with diabolical disorientation or diabolical obsession. Walt Heyer warned that despite the media's campaign to present cases such as his as rare, the reality was quite different. Walt Heyer mentioned that the inbox, his inbox, his email inbox was full of messages from people who had undergone the terrible procedures of changing their bodies to present a different sex and now regret the decision. Well, as Catholics... Just listen to the American College of Pediatricians in their own words. They say, quote, Conditioning children into believing that a lifetime of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex is normal and healthful is child abuse. Endorsing gender discordance as normal via public education and legal policies will confuse children and parents, leading more children to present themselves to gender clinics where they will be given puberty-blocking drugs. This, in turn, virtually ensures that they will choose a lifetime of carcinogenic and otherwise toxic cross-sex hormones and likely consider unnecessary surgical mutilation of their healthy body parts as young adults. So, according to the American College of Pediatricians, the public promotion of transgenderism constitutes a form of child abuse god bless these pediatricians and god bless walt Heyer, who's willing to to tell it like it is again gender ideology con- contradicts basic biology this same progressive movement that once worshiped at the secular altar of science To the exclusion of God and religion, now they're singing a different tune. Now they want us, people of faith, to disregard science because science disproves their transgender ideology. God bless Walt Heyer, God bless these pediatricians who are calling this what it is. It's a form of child abuse. And as people of faith, we must oppose this with maximum determination. The Catechism of the Catholic Church. In paragraph 2333, it states the following. Every man and woman should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. Physical, moral, and spiritual difference and complementarity are oriented towards the goods of marriage and the flourishing of family life. The harmony of the couple and of society depends in part on the way in which the complementarity needs and mutual support between the sexes are lived out hey romans chapter 118 the bible says for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth yes why do people believe in this propaganda because of their wickedness they suppress the truth you've been listening to the terry and jesse show that's a wrap my name is jesse romero Stick around and continue to listen to the great programming on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Remember, the Catholic faith is not right versus left, it's right versus wrong. And on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we seek to bridge the gap between seminary and Sunday school. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you tomorrow.